welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 6th of May 2018, entitled The Ark of the Covenant, A Type of Christ, Part 5. And the Bible reading is taken from Exodus, chapter 25, verses 1 to 22. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Exodus chapter 25, we will begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 22. Again, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. This is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, ram skin dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. They shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half of the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without shalt thou overlay it and shalt make on it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee, Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shalt you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. The cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. There I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Father, thank you again this evening that we can be gathered in your house, that we have your word before us and your spirit within us. Thank you that we can have confidence as we meet here this evening that you know the hearts of every individual. Father, we pray now most earnestly that you would speak to each heart as only you can. Lord, you know the needs, and you're the only one that can meet those needs. So may everything that's said and done bring glory to you, be according to your perfect will. We give you all the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, we've said a number of times that everything in the Word of God 
truly the, the central focus of everything that is there is pointing to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, we've been looking at this passage here in Exodus chapter 25 and looking at the Ark of the Covenant that was given here, uh, that Moses was given the instructions of how to build it and what to do with it. And as we begin to look, this was the the first vessel that God gave instructions for it to be made there in, in the ark. And as we've begun to look at those things, we looked first of all at the origin of the ark, where it came from, its plans and everything about it. And of course, in the origins of the ark, we can see clearly the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was God that brought forth the ark. It was God that brought forth Jesus Christ. It was God that had his plan that Moses was to carry out with the people of Israel specifically for that ark, but it was God's plan from on high that brought the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill the very purpose that that he came for. So we saw the origin of the ark and, and how that pointed us to Jesus. And then we looked at the materials of the ark that the ark was, was made of. And we see that the materials of the ark of the Old Testament points us to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament. The incorruptible wood, that shittim wood that was there that, that it was designed with, but then that was completely overcovered with, with, with pure gold inside and outside the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, that wood being the symbol of the very nature that he came of the earth because Jesus was 100% man, but he never, ever, ever uh, lost his divinity, the gold being the symbol of the divinity. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And, uh, and so we find that uh, uh, when God built the ark there that was to be in the, in the tabernacle, that it was all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we looked at the anointing of the ark. And of course, the oil that was there to anoint the ark that was to set it aside, to set it apart for the very purpose that God had for it. And of course, pointing to the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus began his ministry to fulfill the purpose that God had sent him for, we find that it was there at his baptism that, that, that the dove descended upon Jesus and that God himself spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And then we looked uh, uh, last week at the contents of the ark that were within it. And of course, uh, uh, there is where we find that uh, they put the testimony, the law, if you would, into the ark. And of course, uh, the law, as far as man was concerned, was broken. And so that's what the, the broken law separates us from God. Sin separates us from God, but it was placed inside of the ark, pointing us to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ because it was the law that was in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill that law that we couldn't, but it's only in Jesus Christ that God's law can be fulfilled, not in man, but in Jesus Christ himself. I want to point you to, to one other thing as we look at verse 22 of this passage this evening, and I want us to consider the purpose of the ark. Why was God doing all this? It was God that told Moses that this was what he was to receive, the gifts from the people so that this ark could be built and it could be placed there in the tabernacle that he was also, of course, given instructions for how to, to build that, that tabernacle. What was God's purpose and reason behind it all? Well, notice again what he says in verse 22. He says, and there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment to the children 
of Israel. This was the place. What was the purpose of the ark? That God might meet with man and that God might be able to commune with man and that God might be able to instruct man in what it was that he asked of him. You see, the ark was a place of communion. That's where God and man could come together. He wasn't doing this just so that they would have some uh, religious ceremony to go through. God was doing this. Let's keep in mind that many times we think that somehow people look, and especially a lot of the, the Old Testament things, they said, boy, he was a hard God. It was like he was almost making it impossible for man to, to be able to come to him in any way. Folks, it was us that made it impossible to go to God. It was our sin that separated us from God. We need to realize and understand everything that God is doing, the whole purpose behind the Ark of the Covenant, everything is, is that he might be able to commune with us, that he might be able to meet with us, that he might be able to make a way that we can truly come into his presence and commune with him. God's purpose was never to separate us God's purpose was to bring us together. May I say to you that the purpose of the ark in the Old Testament for God to commune with his people is exactly pointing to Jesus Christ and the atonement of Jesus Christ in the New Testament because it's only through that. The ark was the place of communion. That's what Jesus Christ is through his atoning death. He becomes to everyone that will believe and put their faith and trust in him, he becomes that meeting place. He becomes the only place that God, because it's in Jesus Christ, we meet with God at the mercy seat. It's only by God's mercy that we're able, and we'll look probably within the next week or two, we'll look at the sprinkling of the blood upon that mercy seat and all that that, that entailed there. But what I want you just to picture this evening, that man, God had a purpose in all of this. Everything that we've looked at, the design of what he was doing it wasn't just something that caught his fancy. Everything that God was doing with this ark was to make it possible for us to have communion with him. Through him, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that fellowship with God today. We have that fellowship, that communion with God himself. We find that in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I, Jesus, will raise him up at the last day. That same Jesus is the same Jesus that's speaking this in John chapter 6. No man can come except God is the one that draws him. God put this plan into play. God is the one that's still in control. God has uh, the ark there for you and I today, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's God that will draw us to that place of communion because God wants to commune with you. God wants to deal with your sin. God wants to take those sins away. But it's only through Jesus Christ, and then Jesus will raise you up at the last day, but only when we've come to him. We can look at a number of passages, but turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews because it points right back to this passage that we're, that we're talking to, about here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9, notice what the Word of God says here, beginning in verse 11. He says, but Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, the same tabernacle that we're reading about in the Old Testament where God met with his people at the ark, Jesus Christ came as the high priest of good things to come by a greater 
and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, Jesus Christ. You see, they had to come time and time and time again. Every year they had to come back to that ark. That was the meeting place. They had to keep bringing the sacrifices, but they were there. God gave them a way to be able to meet with him. In Jesus Christ, he says, Jesus has become a more perfect tabernacle because Jesus Christ, instead of that sacrifice having to be brought there to the mercy seat year after year after year after year, it says he, by his own blood, entered in once into that holy place, the holy of holies, the place where that this ark of the covenant was sitting, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. If those things which God gave them in the Old Testament, if that was there fulfilling its purpose in the sanctifying, the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall he purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might see, receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see, it's not just something that we're making up. God said, God was the one that gave us the picture in the Old Testament. God was the one that designed the tabernacle. God was the one that just instructed Moses in order to be able to go there and to build that ark. It couldn't be just any place that man wanted. It had to be what God had ordered. And God had a purpose in all of it. And all of it was there picturing Jesus Christ and that perfect redemption that would be brought through him when he came to this earth. God's the one that said, if all that blood of those calves and goats and animals and heifers and everything of the Old Testament, if that sufficed for that, how much more? If that was sufficient to do what needed to be done for that communion then, how much more? The blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the once for all sacrifice, how much more will that do for you today? Romans chapter 5 the Bible is very clear. Romans is one of the places that gives us the clearest picture of man in his sinful condition where the transgressions have been committed, where the laws have been broken, where sin has separated us from God. And here in Romans chapter 5, notice what he says. He says, beginning in verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, 
because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Listen, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't have the strength. We didn't have the ability to even be able to turn to God. But during that time, Jesus Christ died for us in that ungodly state. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. There are people that love enough that they're willing to give their life for somebody else because they love that person so much that they're willing to die for them. But you see, the Bible says there's only some people that would be willing to do that for somebody that they love. Verse 8 says, but God, he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some people might perchance be willing to give their life for somebody that they genuinely loved and cared for, but Jesus gave his life for you while you were his enemy, while you were a sinner, while you were totally separated from him. Yes, though it's hard for us to comprehend and understand because he loved you so much, not because you were lovable, not because of what you were doing for him, but he was willing He was willing to die for you in your ungodly state. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. You can't stand before a holy God as an unrighteous person, as a sinner. You can't stand before God except through the blood of Jesus Christ whereby you can stand there just as if you'd never sinned, justified before God because of what Jesus Christ has done, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For here he says, when we were enemies, see, I didn't make that up. As a sinner, you may not want to admit it, but you are an enemy of God as a sinner when you're not a saved person. We're either for him or we're against him, and we're on one team or the other. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God By the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Sinner, as as an enemy of God, Christ died for you while you were his enemy. Christians, much more. If we've accepted that gift and we know that we're a child of God, we know that the, that the death of Jesus Christ has saved us. He says, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Yes, he died for us, but he rose again the third day. He is a living Savior today. He is a living man that wants to be Lord of your life today. Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh. He says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Folks, that was the purpose of the ark all along. In the Old Testament, though, he says, yes, it was just a temporary atonement. They had to keep coming back year after year, but he's pointing us to the one atonement that'll be our atonement for all of eternity, forever and ever. It's pointing to Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ. Nobody ever 
No human being that's ever walked the face of this earth has ever been saved other than through the atonement of Jesus Christ himself. There is no other way that anyone can ever enter into heaven. Yes, we see there that as we look at the ark, Jesus was making it that he might be able to commune with his children. We find that if you look into 2 Corinthians He tells us about this again, but along with it comes an awesome responsibility, folks. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we've preached on this passage in in, in the past. What is it? What is it, Christian? What is it that is controlling your life right now? What is it that compels you to do the things that you do now, tomorrow, next week? Something in our life is in control. Something compels us to do the things that we do. He says here, for the love of Christ constraineth us. (laughs) Is the love of Christ what is in control of your life and compelling you to do the things that you do? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Do we believe that Jesus Christ died for all? We'll come to some more verses in a minute. If he died for all, then all were dead. He couldn't die for all unless all were dead in the first place. We thus judge that if what we say that Jesus Christ died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You wouldn't even be alive. You couldn't be in the presence of God. You couldn't have communion with God except that while you were his enemy, while you were a sinner, Jesus went to that cross. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus is the only way that you can get that access to commune with him. And he says, it's the love of God that constrains me, that compels me because I don't even have life without him. I'm only here because of him. I only have this life that he's given me because of him. He says, wherefore, henceforth, no, we know man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can be reconciled to come into his presence and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. How can you, how can you reconcile anybody to God? Only by the Christ that lives within you. Our ministry is not that we can reconcile them to God but that Jesus Christ within us would do that. He reconciled us. And that ministry has been given us that Christ might work through us to reconcile, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everything he did was so that he could become sin for you, so that you could be righteous in front of God. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was just a temporary picture of the true Ark that would come in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the purpose of that ark is all about you, that God could commune with you, that you can be reconciled to God. That's what the ark of the Old Testament was about. That was the purpose. There I will meet with thee. I will commune with thee from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark. That sin problem had to be taken care of. That's the only place it could be taken care of, and that's the only place that we could meet with God. You find that if you look into Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, you find that the Scriptures tell us there in verse 17, he says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye be filled, that ye might be filled with what? All the fullness of God that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, that you might have that communion with God, that God may truly not just dwell in that tabernacle of the Old Testament, that because of what Jesus Christ did, he will dwell in you, his child. You can have communion with him. You don't have to go to a certain place on this earth. You don't have to go and have some priest go in there before you. He wants you. He wants to dwell in your heart to have communion with you 24-7. <laughs> whenever you need him, whenever you talk to him, he's there to communion with you all the time. That's what he wants. Folks, the purpose of the ark was not just some religious ceremony. It was that God would have a place to commune and have fellowship with his people, that God could speak to his people. And that was pointing us to that great, great atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And I give you this final verse in closing this evening. In 1 John, it's a passage that I know that I refer to it often, but it's a passage that we should probably all have in our hearts. In 1 John chapter 1, it begins in verse 3 that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Yes, fellowship between the brethren. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Is that not what the ark was for? That God might fellowship and commune with his people? Paul's, or John is writing here saying, look, our fellowship is with you, with us as believers, but the true fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's not possible. It's not possible for a human being to say, I've never sinned. I have no sin. 
says, you're deceiving yourself. It's a lie. That's an impossibility. But, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, folks, that's true of anybody, of any human being. We all have to come to recognize we are sinners, and we must be willing to confess that sin. But John wasn't writing to lost people here, was he? (laughs) You see, as Christians, when they went into the Holy of Holies to meet with God, I've reminded you of this before. Maybe sometime we'll come and look at the, it's, it's, it's wondrous just to look at the priest's garment and what all that symbolizes, but that cord that was tied around his ankle and ran out, why was that? Because, man, if, if he got in there and if he got something messed up and he didn't do what he was supposed to do the way he was supposed to do it, if he came into God's presence and that sin hadn't been dealt with, he was going to be dead. But the problem is nobody could go in there to get him. The rope was so they could pull him out of there, (laughs) so they could pull him out of there. We can't go into the presence of God with sin. Christians, because we've been saved, we still have to deal with the flesh. We don't become perfect. If we think even as Christians that we have no sin in our lives, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Thank God. By grace, those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they're covered for all of eternity. You won't lose your salvation, but you can sure lose your fellowship. You can sure use your ability to be used of God. My little children, he says, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. None of us have to sin. You know, it's a pretty awesome thing when we realize that, I'm I'm sure you've probably heard me say this before, Every sin you commit, every one of them, because you choose to sin. I choose to sin. We don't sin. So many times it's easier to say, oh, the devil made me do it. (laughs) Well, the devil may be wanting you to do it, but the devil didn't make you do anything. You chose it. You did it of your own volition, and you're therefore the one that's accountable for it, not anybody else but you. He's wrote these things. God doesn't want us to sin. He says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If they couldn't enter in, even that high priest, if he couldn't enter in to the Holy of Holies and meet with God because of sin, he said, we can't, folks. We can't meet with God with sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our mediator. He's the one that stands between us and God. And therefore, that's the only way that your sin can be covered is in Jesus Christ, in the atonement. There is no possibility if any of us think that we have a hearing with God because of who we are, because of the lack of sin in our lives, then we're deceiving ourselves. The only access that we have to God the Father is through Jesus. Jesus Christ, our advocate, our atonement is in his blood, and that's the only thing that gives us access to him. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm glad. <laughs> Look around this evening. I don't know. I don't know who's the oldest Christian here. Brother George, you and I are probably getting close on that. <laughs> or what, when you got saved. But, you know, aren't you glad? You know, I'm glad when I look back at my grandparents and my parents that were Christians before me, and I'm glad the blood didn't run out before it got to me. <laughs> I'm glad if George got saved before me, it didn't run out before it got to me. You know, He's a propitiation for our sins only. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. There's sufficient blood for you. Today, God wants all these things are not to keep you away from him to give you access to God, to give you a meeting place with God to where he can commune with you. He wants to commune with you personally. He wants you in his presence. He wants to have fellowship with you. And the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was pointing to that in all these things that we've looked at. The whole purpose behind all of it was that he could meet with us. And do you understand? Jesus came not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He's there to give you access. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this evening, there is no other access to God. We say it over and over in so many ways. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus is your access. He is the one. He is the only one that can give you access to God but he wants to give you access. Everything that he did, it was sufficient to give you access. And Christian, you've blown it. You messed up. You got things in your life that ought not to be there. Guess what? You're human. Guess what? It's by the grace of God that you got saved. It's by the grace of God that he keeps you saved. It's by the grace of God that one day you will have a new body. You won't have to deal with that sin anymore. Right now, though, don't deny it. Do something about it. He's given us these so that we don't sin, so that we can't. We're to be holy as he is holy. There is no excuse for it in our lives. God wants to have access with you this evening, and I want you just to realize Jesus Christ has always and will always be that access for you with him. The atonement is what gives you access to God, and it's the atonement of Jesus Christ is the only access that you'll have but it's there for you this evening. If you've never accepted it, you can accept it right now this evening. It's only the devil that wants you to go out of here without it. It's only the devil that wants you to put it off as long as you possibly can. Christians, is your life not what it needs to be? Do you understand? God wants you to be close to him. He wants to commune with you. He wants you to feel his nearness and his fellowship. He don't want you to be out there battling those things by yourself and struggling and getting all beaten down by the world and, and everybody else. He wants you just to feel that he just takes you in his arms. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, uh, when, when somebody that you haven't seen for a while that loves you. It's kind of like when, when Miles came up this weekend, our grandson, to visit us. And, you know, just to see that excitement in his eyes when he sees Nanny and Grandpa and he comes running, you know, and he just wants to, to grab you and hug you and whatnot. Do you understand? God loves you so much that he died for you. All that he's doing, he's doing so that he can hold you in his arms, so that he can commune with you, so that you can have that fellowship with him. That's what he wants for you. That's what he'll give you this evening. That's what in the Old Testament, the whole time, he was pointing to Jesus, Jesus Christ, 
of the New Testament Father. We thank you this evening, Lord. We thank you that as we've continued to just try to or just take a look at the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant that was placed in the Holy of Holies there, and look at how those things point to the New Testament and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we understand. We, we, you're the one that told us yourself that the purpose for building this was that you might have communion and fellowship with your people, that you might be able to talk to them, to speak to them, to be there with them. Father, we know that it's in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement that you've done the same thing for us in the New Testament. You tell us this is a better way. This is a new and a living way. This is a better tabernacle. And now, Lord, you live and dwell within this tabernacle, this tabernacle that we live within, not some temporary tabernacle out there in the wilderness. Lord, in this tabernacle right here that's here this evening. Father, speak to hearts this evening. I can only beg and plead and pray, Lord, because if there's one under the sound of my voice that's lost that doesn't know Jesus Christ, oh, Lord, more than anything, we want them to know you. We want them to have that relationship, to have that communion that only you can give them. But, Father, we also know that, boy, this, this Christian life, it could be tough sometimes. People get discouraged and people get beat down. And, Lord, I just pray, help us to grasp and realize, Lord, you, you're just wanting to, to wrap your arms around us. You're wanting to commune with us, to fellowship with us. That's why Jesus did all that he did, to get those sin things out of the way so that we can be right there as near to you as we possibly can. So this evening, I don't know what these may be dealing with in their lives, but I pray that you'd help them. Draw them close to you. We give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.